And so at some point you're gonna make a mistake and you can call it failure if you want. My friends in the neuroscience world call failure feedback. I think it's a better word. Um, the brain's constantly evolving, neuroplasticity's adapting. It comes from everything you go through and not just the, the good times. Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood, where we will prepare you to make your what's next in life your best yet by learning from high performers in a variety of industries. Our next guest is Sean Foley. Sean has worked closely with some of the best golfers in the world throughout his career and was voted as the top golf teacher in the world by players on the PGA Tour. He coached Tiger Woods from 2010 to 2014, which we will definitely discuss, but you will be impacted by his stories and insights on what it takes to be your best, no matter what you're striving for in life. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to help spread the impact we hope to have. Also, if you share it on social media and tag me, I'll share as well, and we can double the impact. Enjoy. Sean, welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, Eric. Absolutely. And there's so many different directions we could go here with your career. I've heard you speak on mindset, you know, personal development principles, guys you've worked with, but we start off the same way on every episode. And I want to hear about where you grew up and what kind of athlete you were personally when you were a kid. Um, I kind of grew up everywhere. My dad was, uh, my dad's from Glasgow, from Scotland. Um, when he was a young kid, he got out of Glasgow because he did really well on a uh, science and uh, math testing. So he got a scholarship to boarding school in England, which he believes probably saved his life. And uh, he did a degree in chemistry, came to Canada in 67, became a chemist for DuPont. Uh, and then they converted him by 71 into a sales guy. So my dad, I moved to, I was born in Toronto in Scarborough. And so we moved to Delaware five Wilmington was where DuPont's main quarters headquarters were. Uh, at six, I moved to San Fran at nine. I moved to LA at 12. I moved back to Toronto, uh, at 14. I moved to Vancouver, sorry, 13 Vancouver and 15 back to Toronto. Then I went to, uh, Tennessee State University, which is historically black university in Nashville. Um, we had some good football players in, in, at Tennessee State over the years. And uh, then I started working in Nashville, then in Florida and back to Toronto. So I'm now here in Orlando. I've been here since 2006. And I think that's by far the longest I've ever been in one place. So uh, as far as as an athlete, I don't think I'd ever really call myself an athlete. Um, I played soccer. I was decent. Um, before I became competitive in golf, I was, I was a decent racer in skiing. Um, who knows what I could have done in any of them if I'd really applied myself, but uh, I've always been interested in so many different things. So I, I was never able to be just completely focused on one thing. And at about 15 or 16, my dad told me to kind of choose, and I obviously chose golf. Uh, I never liked being as cold as I was when I was skiing. Right. I'm the only guy. I'm the softest person from Toronto when it comes to cold weather. I'm the softest uh, NFL player that played his entire career in Buffalo. I hate the cold. Yep. That's the only games I've ever been to because we used to drive down to Buffalo all the time. I was so. going to ask you if you were a Bills fan. Yeah, I've been to Rich Stadium on many occasions, but probably more often for Grateful Dead shows. Um, Love it. Yeah, yeah, we will definitely not go out into that one, maybe at another point. But uh, so, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I was, a pl I was a plus one handicap when I was 18, when I went to university. I kind of, you know, was just decent at everything. But golf, golf always kind of sparked my interest just in the complete challenge that it is. Um, so difficult. And I felt that golf was the, was the sport too that as I traveled, I could just always just pick up and do it again. Right. Right. So yeah, I think that's why we weren't, I think that's why we weren't on many teams. My brother played very high level baseball, played for team Canada, played for university of Pittsburgh. Um, so yeah, we, we, we uh, you know, I don't think we really went after it as much as we could. And then around 19, I got super interested in the golf swing uh, and in the human mind and just kind of, I've just been on that for the last, uh, gosh, 27 years. 
I love it. And I, I love how you said I was interested in a bunch of things, but I wasn't great at them. And anything you're just interested in, if you're not committed to it, talk about that all the time on the podcast. If you're not committed to something, you won't be great. And so um, I loved your humility and all that. And I liked how you said I was a decent golfer. I was a plus one. Like I've met so many out there listening to this podcast would kill to be that plus one. But when you're surrounded by the true greats of the sport on a day-to-day -day basis, that, that diminishes your plus one ability at that age. But so you mentioned you got interested in the golf swing and then you fully went all in and you devoted your life to mindset and, and swing and, and bringing – players to this next level of their game how did you get your first in with these top tour level players that you're working with now uh, my first in was with uh, Stephen Ames uh, Stephen Ames was originally from Trinidad and Tobago uh, became a Canadian citizen uh, had his family in Calgary um, so it was 2006 when I moved down here uh, my wife and I uh, well, she didn't get a visa yet, but she quit her job back at home. I quit my job. We had an opportunity to work. Uh, I had the opportunity to work at a junior golf academy down here. So after 9-11, it was really hard for Canadians to get visas. Mm. Um, so this was an E2 visa, investor visa, uh, and I had to take it. I mean, I think I took, I think between the two of us, we took about a $10,000 pay cut. Um, but I knew it. Like in Canada, I was doing very well but I could see the ceiling already. And I don't, I, I like to be challenged. Um, I understand the wisdom that comes to us from, you know, from challenging ourselves. Uh, I haven't, I haven't learned a tremendous amount on vacation in my life, you know? So right. uh, thank, you know, thanks to her. She supported it. She probably would be a CEO of a, of a tech company by now. Um, she took a real massive sacrifice. Um, so I'm real fortunate. I think, you know, there's a lot of women out there. I think my wife would be one more. She didn't really dream of having kids and, you know, she wanted to go get after her own career. And that's pretty Canadian, I think. So um, we're so lucky and so fortunate that it all worked out. But Stephen called me. It was, kind of, it was down here, basically came to the most competitive industry in the world for my job. Um, being is the fact that a lot of people don't know we have a prime minister. I'm sure they didn't know that uh, about some Canadian golf pro up there. So we, we moved to where uh, the competition was. And I did a lot of work in 2001, 2002, 2003, all the way to 06 with a sports chiropractor from Toronto named Dr. Craig Davies. So when I came down, oh, Davies, right? Davies came down to do uh, – run the, the physical training program with the kids. And at that time he had met Stephen Ames at the Canadian open, I think, and he had helped him. And Stephen had a bad uh, L4, L3 uh, on the right side, um, bulging, not herniated. And he said, look, I think that this is due to your technique. So me and Davies on the weekends, when we were coming up 2001 to 2006, we used to put on seminars for chiropractors, osteopaths and RMTs. Uh, I would talk about the golf swing. He would talk about how he treats it. Uh, so by chance, he met Steven. We, we talked. I'd met Steven probably a couple of years ago when I was the head coach of the Canadian Junior Golf Association's elite teams. Uh, I remember him, being, him and I arguing quite a bit, actually, the first time I met him. And then uh, he gave me a call that day. It's November, I think it was November 7th. Uh, 2006 said he was going to give me a try. He was going to fly down from Calgary, spend three days with me. Uh, if he liked what he heard, he was going to hire me. And that's it. That was the, that was the start. I remember being in debt too. So he gave me a check for the year uh, that would help cover my expenses. Um, I'd never seen a check that big in my life. And then said he'd give me 3% of everything from there on out and left me and flew out to Palm Springs and won the skins game and won a million bucks. So, I mean, wow. talk about, talk about I remember driving over to Outback Steakhouse where so I waited tables for many many years uh, I was a personal trainer for many years um, it, I was kind of the only person in the history of, of the world who went to university on a full scholarship and came out owing about 60 grand <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I tend to learn the hard way in my life and yes I, I learned the hard way uh, at school um, 
And so I, when I started teaching golf, I mean, I knew I could do it and I knew I enjoyed it, but it was more a function of just like pure survival than anything else. I, you know, I'd always envisioned, uh, you know, coaching. Um, and then I was always around elite players. So even from a young age around much older players who were very good. So, you know, that, that, that day, I remember him giving me the check and then I went down to Outback Steakhouse where, so I, we, my wife and I are doing well in Toronto. And next thing I know, I'm back to having no clients and waiting tables again and went in and told the manager that, uh, that I would be quitting. <laughs> so no. that's the funny thing is it's not really that long ago. It doesn't feel like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, there's not a day that doesn't go by that I don't think that I remember or recognize, um, yeah, I don't have many bad days, bro. I love it. I have bad, bad moments, but I think everything's momentary. I mean, it, it can be beautiful and be a blue sky out and a weather pattern can come in and it's just momentarily dark and gloomy and then another weather pattern comes in and it's blue again. So I think that that's the one thing I try to work with my clients on from a corporate level all the way down is just to understand that bad moments are unavoidable, but bad days are pretty much created from our misunderstanding of, of consciousness. Um, so that, that's, it's, it's cool. You know, you got to embrace, there's plenty of times on the field where you got upset and you got angry where sports psychologists would say, don't do that. And you came out the next plan and, and really made that person pay for it. I'm not into labeling energy. Mm. It's not about, you know, it's not about being positive and having self-belief. There was games you probably started where you were at the bottom of your level of confidence and you went out and played amazing because you have a lifetime of skill of competence, which is why you're in the NFL for that long. So I don't really think, I think years ago, Eric, someone was giving a speech on confident on competence and they used the word confidence by accident. So right. of, of course, of course, Tom Brady is, is, looks confident but to me he just appears to be supremely competent but there's no way as a human being he doesn't go through the ups and downs of self-belief we all do um i just think it's the kind of pay attention to it recognize it's there embrace it but by no means capitulate to it because that's when you start generating narratives that become manifest destinies yeah and i, I to your point i think tom brady's confidence and competence comes from him sacrificing so much in his mind no one is as disciplined as him and so in those moments where he may play that emotional roller coaster his self-talk is on point because he earned it it's not sunshine and rainbows in Tom Brady's head it's a lot of what Trevor Moad talked about that neutral thinking like no I earned this I will be fine if there's an interception I rarely throw two it's okay that doesn't mean it's going to happen again I want to follow up on just a few things you said I love how you honored your wife. I always respect guys that honor their wives when they talk about their career. Yeah, she's the boss, bro. I mean, let's be honest. Like, it's, it's this isn't this isn't uh, this isn't even ha this isn't even happening. See, the difficulties that we had getting this together came because you did it through me and not and not her. So, yeah, she's the she's the she's the dream for sure. No doubt. And, and my house doesn't function. My kids aren't the way they are. I don't get no. to chase my dreams if my wife doesn't have tremendous sacrifice as well. When I had a broken leg in Jacksonville, Florida, I did the Joe Theismann leg break my rookie year. My wife dropped out of school to come take care of me up in Buffalo. We've been dating a little over a year at the time. So she sacrificed as well for me. Love you talk, I love how you mentioned Craig Davies. Craig Davies, at a point in my life where my mom had just had a stroke and my stepdad had a stroke uh, two years prior, wasn't fully recovered, he gave me about two hours of free time to kind of coach them and what they can be doing outside of traditional medicine uh, to, to get back. So uh, I got, I, I still haven't, this was all during COVID and he had the deal with his mother as well. So we haven't connected in person and that's a dude who I'm going to give a big old hug and a thank you to when I finally get to meet him. I can't imagine the pressure of you're about to work with your first touring pro and you have a three day essential tryout. You know, in the NFL, we have the combine. You essentially hit your combine. It's like, okay, for these three days, I got to show up and be my best. And I got one more thing from your story. So, you may, I feel like Outback has a, for both of us, has like a special place in our hearts for you. It was being able to walk in and say, hey, uh, I'm not going to work here anymore. I've finally made it. For me, 
someone asked me what the difference between playing in college and the NFL was. Like, what's the biggest difference? And everyone expected me to say, well, the D-line are better, or the playbook's harder to know. I said, the biggest difference is when I was a kid, if we went to Outback, that was it. Like, that was birthdays. That was only, you know, maybe just special birthdays. When I got to the NFL, we ate at Outback just because it was kind of close to the stadium. And I was like, of course. I said, when I, I used to work at Outback in Nashville. Um, and so every Sunday when they had home games, the Titans originally, before they built Adelphia Stadium, they played at Vanderbilt. And so there's an Outback, like not even far, maybe uh, 2,000 yards from the stadium. So I personally attended every Sunday that they were in town to Steve McNair, Eddie George, and uh, Ke Kevin Long. Wow. Right? I think Kevin was the center. Obviously, Steve was a quarterback, and then Eddie George was, like, not from earth. I mean, this guy would come in. He would come in, like, in a tank top and some jeans, and women would faint, basically faint every time. i never seen anybody just so physically gifted in my life. But, yeah, those guys used to take care of me um, every single Sunday when they came in, and I've never seen human beings eat more food uh, than, than, than those guys. I mean, Kev, Kevin Long starting out was big blokes were like those big beers. They would go down like Gatorades and they would just eat an immense amount of meat and potatoes. But yeah, that's, that's it. And, and Davies, Davies for me, I've either been with or spoke to him almost every day since 2001. And wow. uh, you're, you're just not going to find, to be honest, I would say he's probably been the ultimate mentor for me because you know, he kind of taught me anatomy, physiology, and biomechanics. So in, th in those times, he used to come watch me teach lessons in, in Oakville, Ontario. And then I would go down and watch him treat for like six, seven hours a day just to learn about everything that had to do with tensegrity. So Davies is always ahead of the curve. Um, Canadian chiros are, are really a special group because I think the difference in Canada with socialized medicine is to cut and do surgeries is going to cost the taxpayer more. And so I find in America, osteos and chiros are, depending where you are, but I would say in general, they've got a bit of a hocus pocus kind of thing to it. And I don't know if the pharmaceutical companies are, have subliminally been able to do that over time and, and switch that. But in Canada, they're quite on a pedestal. Um, so Davies and I, we started with Ames and then Hunter Mahan. So we had all of our guys together, but we've roomed every single night that we've been on tour, we've roomed together. So you're going to be uh, hard fought to find uh, a better professional at what he does. But from a human standpoint, he's just gold. Yeah, he's talking about those nights on the road, Big Spoon, Little Spoon, all that. He said, you all have a blast on the road. I'm just kidding. Yeah, big time. Big time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So I want to dig in a little bit with your work with these players. It, it completely fascinates me. Um, I've been doing some performance coaching myself, working with some guys, mainly the University of Louisville football team, on some mindset training this year. So let's start off. In golf in particular, so many players are physically talented, but you've worked with some of the best of the best, maybe the best of all time. What separates those guys from the guys that can't seem to ever, you know, crack maybe that top 20, top 10? I mean, mindset's a tricky word, right? Because I don't, you know, communism, capitalism, Catholicism, Judaism, racism, I don't like isms. Um, isms are just systems that have been created, right? So to me, like the idea of mindset, I think it's an overused word in the sense that we're trying to project to people like we know there's a correct mindset. Um, right. So it's like, hey, you're struggling. Well, if you have this mindset, I think it, it's deeper than that. I think that the great players, the best players by far, um, tend to sacrifice the most. That, that I, I would think. So I think what happens is they, they just work so hard um, and they sacrifice so much that kind of with all that daily failure and disappointment, they just build such great self-esteem. The self-esteem doesn't come from telling yourself in the mirror that you're just a great guy. And it just doesn't work like that. You know, you got to go through it to get to it and, and, and you got to earn it. And, you know, obviously in Tiger's case, when he came out, no one had his speed, no one had anything. Now it seems to be consistent. Like we're seeing faster and faster speeds. It, and 
we, you know, we kind of are in every sport. I mean, imagine DK Metcalf as a wide receiver in the NFL in the 70s. Right. So, you know, you get – we're going to get to the point where there's going to be a guy who's going to be like the current DK Metcalf, but everyone else is going to be the size of DK Metcalf. And so right. I think, you know, e- even just looking at defensive ends and how, how much they've changed from kind of, you know, great athletes but bigger guys into what look like 280 wide receivers now. Um, it's just amazing. So I think you see even in soccer, you look at – I had the chance – when I was young to go on the field at a big time soccer game. And then I had the chance again, two years ago, they're all over six, two. Now they weren't um, right. obviously Messi's not. And, but astounding to watch these guys go up for a header and see that they definitely have the equivalent of a 42 inch vertical. They're way up there. Um, so I think when it comes to mindset, you know, uh, and, and, and rest in peace to Trevor Moad, um, I've, I've read a lot of Trevor stuff. Um, I've had some friends kind of in that world, Michael Gervais, people like that, that I like to listen to, but, but that's just it. It's that that's all just kind of process oriented stuff. So when people say, you know, you have to be in the present, you're always in the present. You just take yourself out of it. I think when people talk about getting into the zone, I very rarely don't see a four-year-old who's in the zone. So I think as time goes on and we get indoctrinated and these wires in the frontal lobe start to connect uh, at one point, um, my, at one point, my son, he was chubby and he would just jump right in the pool. As he got older, you know, he would swim with a shirt on, mm. you know, when they were little, when they were little, they'd be out there and they just, they just drop their pants and now they go into different rooms and change. And so at some point judgment comes in to it and obviously as these wires start to connect you know obviously social media was always going to be a firestorm because in the most primal regions of our brain the desire is not to have consciousness the desire is not to have watch sunsets the desire is to be accepted by a tribe and that tribe used to be about 15 to 20 and now it can be 2.3 million right. and so when you look at neurochemically how we've produced dopamine and adrenals, um, you know, it kind of came from that acceptance. So I think it's important to understand that a lot of the things we don't like about ourselves are in our DNA. And human beings are designed to remember the bad because if we weren't designed to do that, we'd be extinct. So unfortunately, the memory, uh, you go through trauma, and the memory is always going to remember that as a way to protect you, even though it sabotages your performance. And so it's, to me, it's a combination of like some Eastern philosophies. So really not labeling anything or judging anything, just experiencing things um, without trying to fit it into a box. Because I think when you're able to experience it and not condemn it or judge it, it has the ability to turn into something different over time when you start to see it for, for kind of what it is. Um, some stoicism aspects. Uh, and I was reading Marcus Aurelius when I was like 15, 14 years of age. Uh, what I learned at Tennessee State, living on campus as the only white, only white kid on campus, um, all that stuff I had to endure uh, in the first two years, I'll never go through anything that difficult in my life again. It, it was very stoic. That's what it taught me to be. It taught me to understand that I wasn't feeling the stress I was because of anything outside of me. I knew that the source of my discomfort was inside. And so some days it would be ruthless and really difficult. And some days I'd have way more empathy and I just understand like, you know, these guys don't know me. So that's the thing is I think what I learned there at school was very imperative for the rest of my life because I think being great at what you do has a lot to do with being clear and having clarity. It's not about being positive or having self-belief. It's about being clear. You know, when a guy shoots 59, the interview is brutal. It's like, yeah, you know, I, uh, yeah, just, uh, yeah, felt really good. Um, yeah, it's like there's nothing there, right? Oh, you're spot on. But they say felt really good. So what are we feeling as people, right? We're feeling the quality of our own thinking or just the absence of thought 
um, feels great. You know, it, it, it feels great. It's amazing how many, you know, consumer romanticism and how people fly all around the world to sit at a beach and they think that they're not stressed because they're not at home, but they're sitting on a beach with this giant electron charge. And then they're going in, they're going in the salt water, which is another massive vibration frequency situation. And then they're breathing in fresh air. And so it's like, whether you do it at New Smyrna in Orlando, or you do it uh, off of the shores of South of France, um, what relaxes you about it so much is just the biome that you're in. Um, it's fascinating, right? It's fascinating. So I think when you match the primal aspects of neuro neuroscientifically, how the brain works, why does it work the way that it does? Why do we do the things that we do? And then you look at, uh, to me, the, the aspect of understanding that uh, things are difficult and that's fine and that's good. And then third, kind of the, it's tough to really structure it all into a thing. I mean, I've just read so many books and I've listened to so many podcasts and I've been around so many smart people. Um, I think when it comes down to it, the most important part is that when you get up there and you speak about what it is that you believe or that you think, my goal is to always remind myself like that I constantly have a camera that's always following me. And so these people who are seeing me wax poetic on stage, are they going to see this uh, when my players are playing poorly? Are they going to see this when my flight's canceled for the third time? Are they going to see? Um, and yeah, I feel like I've, I've learned to get into a, from a very dark place to a very good place where uh, my cortisol levels are extremely low and I just don't really feel stressed much. And I think when I do is I realize where it's coming from. And a lot of the times it's just mental constructs of previous experiences that the brain keeps to once again protect us, but that's protecting us so we can reproduce and be a homo sapien, not to have a beautiful life and raise our grandkids. And that's, that's, that's come through evolution, but that's not really the, 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 the main part of what makes us uh, human beings. Let's take a break real quick to hear from one of our longtime sponsors, and that's Jordan Yoakum from Tom James Company. In this holiday season, I encourage you to give people a gift that they will want. Do not be the person that gives the impersonable gift card, the gift card that's going to sit in a drawer and go unused. Give somebody the gift of custom clothing. It's an incredible gift. Anybody I've ever done it for has been blown away and completely satisfied with that gift. And Jordan can do a virtual appointment anywhere in the country or he can meet in person and he will treat your loved ones incredibly. I already had Jordan come pay my wife a visit for Christmas this year. He's going to make it easy on you. Just hit him up on Instagram at Kentucky Clothier or shoot him a text directly to 502-525-0802. And Jordan will make sure that this holiday season is extra special for those loved ones in your life. Back to the show. You want to know why Sean Foley is the best of the best? It's because he can combine his knowledge of the swing with everything you're hearing now. And when this podcast is about taking you and how you get your what's next in life to be your best yet, take those principles. There's so many of them. I mean, starting from the very beginning, and I'm with you. I don't think there's a correct mindset for everyone in the sense that it comes with from mental toughness. Like if you have mental toughness and however that's constructed for you, however you need to get to that, is the right mindset for that person. I, I'm with yeah, you. It's the trick though, right? It's the trick that we have, especially all you crazy alpha silverbacks who play in the NFL. Um, and it's no different at the top of the golf world. It's still alpha silverbacks, right? And wow. so it, you know, Tom Brady was on LeBron's show, The Shop, you know, where they, they get their hair cut while they all talk. And Le LeBron wasn't there that day, but they start the show off. And I mean, we're talking about Tom Brady, like the, the, the goat, my, my son's funny because my little one uses the word goat all the time. And my older son says, you would think there's a goddamn goat farm out there, but there's just not that many goats. Right. And so he said, Joe Montana was a goat. And Quinn said, no, Tom Brady is the goat. And he's like, you can have two goats. He's like, no, it's the greatest of all time. <laughs> it's not plural, but it was really funny listening to him talk about that. So let's say Tom is the goat. 
uh, and I think everyone would agree with that. So he's on the show. He's sitting there, right? He looks like a he looks like an Armani model. He's like, it's a joke, right? It's not even fair. So he's sitting there, and they go, "Hey, can you believe that that team picked that other quarterback over you?" And Tom said, "I can't believe they took that other mother over me." And it was like he was still 19 or 20 years old, feeling the pain of not getting picked. And then he said, "You know what? Though I made that team pay for it every time I match." So <laughs> he's still he, like it. Like if a guy has a chip on his shoulder, do you remove it or do you make it bigger? And if you make it bigger, are you just careful that when he retires from the game that he'll still have enough social skills to be a human being and participate within his family's life? Because I think we've seen that, right? Um, a lot of the world's greatest athletes, uh, when they're done, they struggle in, in life after that. Because like Gretzky's 99, Jordan's 23. Um, so it's almost like a half a suicide in a sense, right? Because that identity and so much of that, of that mattered to them. But, but then, you, you know, you listen to, like, when it comes down to mental toughness, I think that that word sometimes disables men because there's an absence of vulnerability. Like, the word man up has really, really fucked society up, right? Like, you got to man up. I think there's so many like troubled boys out there now who are wounded men because they're still like thinking, well, I'm mentally tough by not showing weakness. 100%. I think, but I think what happens is like, you know, when you look at Navy SEALs and, and special forces groups around the world, a lot of times, you know, the Admiral's son goes to buds and doesn't make it out. But Vinny Barbarino, who is a state, champ in Pennsylvania in wrestling, grew up with a violent, alcoholic, abusive father. He's sitting there in the water at Coronado. It's 40 degrees, and he's been out there for three hours. And he's like, well, this ain't so bad. I'm, at least I'm not in my Uncle Joey's with my uncle and my dad. I think it's what you can endure, what you've been through, the difficult stuff that you've been through. I mean, if I hadn't been through Tennessee State, I don't know how I would have been able to deal with the criticism when I was working with Tiger because it just would have been too much because outside of asking other people, how did you deal with it? Um, so that, that's my, I think that that's the trick is that I've worked with some players who are super struggling, like from within, um, but they put that brave face on and they go out there. And it's to me, I think courage is a better word than bravery because Kura is a Greek word that means uh, wholehearted. So the idea of courage is being wholehearted and is really just saying, look, this is how I feel, right or wrong. Um, but, you know, you ask guys, how's it going? All good. You know, people say, hey, how's your family? Oh, they're great. They're great. That's bullshit, right? Like, I answered a couple of weeks ago, this lady asked me and I knew she had zero interest at all. And so I took the, I, I, <laughs> I enjoy doing stuff like this. And she asked me how my family was. And I was like, yeah, you know, my wife, uh, she's doing fine, but she's still trying to control everything, which is impossible. Uh, my big boy, uh, is kind of average and the little one is uh, decent, hates reading and uh, gets super emotional at eight 30 at night. And she's just looking at me like, I didn't really want to know. <laughs> But imagine if people asked you throughout the whole day, how you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm pretty upset at the uh, leadership of this country. Hey, how you doing? Uh, you know, I'm kind of upset at myself. It's, it's fascinating how often we're not great, and it's okay not to be great. But it's to recognize that that feeling that you have is momentary, and you're the only one who can extend its, its shelf life. Um, so I feel like you and I are watching ESPN, and our, our, our brain is – the TV and our thoughts are just on the ticker below. And so, you know, we're going to read it, but those thoughts are going to fall off as well. And I, I feel that that's coming to peace with understanding that the way the brain is, is just trying to protect you. So it is going to remember all those scary, terrible things that happened to you, but is to look at the study that they did on phobias. 88% of the people um, who were tested with these like, uh, very limiting phobias in their lives. They'd never experienced what they're afraid of. Wow. I mean, how many people have been, you know, how many people have, who are afraid of heights have fallen from any real height? I mean, you'd be dead, right? right. So 
it just goes to show like I think the other thing that the grades too the grades do too is that they just dream such an ambitious dream. Um, I think some are harmonious with the passion they have for it, just the pure love of the game. And then I think some of them are obsessed by being the best um, and just walking that fine line of sociopathy, you know, um, where we would look at their daily, what they do daily and go, man, that's like crazy. But so to me, I think they just, I mean, look at Tom Brady at the combine. Right. Look at Steph Curry when the scout said, not fast enough, not strong enough, uh, not a great defender, depends way too much on the outside shot. And now every time I turn on an NBA game, I think it's three-point practice. Right. So it, it's like, you know, when you, you look at Brady now and you look at that picture of his combine picture, I mean, the guy looks better now than he, than, than he, he did then. But I think that, you know, look at, like when I watch him on the field and I don't watch much football, but um, when I, I like to watch the goats, so to speak, whatever sport it is just to really watch him. And man, you watch him on a play where a defensive player on his team makes a great play and he goes and grabs him by the face mask and sits him down and just loves him up. And so it's like the defense are playing. So Tom wins every single person around Tom gets better because Tom is honest with them, but then he's very congratulatory as well. And so, yeah, where is the thing on the combine about leadership skills? I mean, why do they make defensive backs run forwards and not backwards? Like it, I look at the combine and I'm like, this is so not what the skills of football are anymore. Of, of course, speed for sure. But I think if I'm a D lineman or offensive lineman, then bench press probably becomes pretty important. But if I'm a defensive back, I mean, <laughs> how important is it? So, but it's the combine. So obviously the combine is broken if the worst combine in the history of quarterbacks is the greatest football player of all time. Yeah, there's got to be something more to it. And I love, how, <laughs> I love how you say you don't watch much football or you don't follow it as much, and you're so in tuned on so many intricacies of football, just how it all kind of correlates back to being focused on performance and what makes people great in the greatest of all time. And you talked earlier about having a camera over your shoulder, and when you mentioned Tom Brady, you reminded me of – it was probably two mornings after the Super Bowl. I emailed him probably 5.30 in the morning. I have his email address, don't have his phone number. Got connected on an email with a mutual friend of ours a couple years ago. So I sent him an email a couple mornings after the Super Bowl just saying, hey, no need to even respond. I know you're super busy. You're doing the talk shows. You're doing everything. I just want to let you – and I played against him 18 times. And I see him every year at the Kentucky Derby, and we would always catch up and talk. But I said, I just want to let you know how much I respect you leaving New England getting it done in Tampa at your age, still peaking. I said, it's unbelievable to me. And, and it's unbelievably awesome. It'll be inspiring. Da, 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 go on, on. He writes me back in probably 15 minutes and not just a thank you. It's this paragraph back. The best do everything the best. You know what I mean? He treats people the best. That's why people play hard for him. Exactly what you were saying. And um, I, I bring that up that moment often because I was just taken back by, okay, how many times in my life have I said I was too busy to respond to an email? This is a dude two mornings after the Super Bowl. It's before 6 a.m. And he's quickly back with, with an intentional message back, not just a, thanks, bro, just a, a full message back. It was incredible. I, I, we've mentioned him a few times. They heard about it in the intro. You worked with the greatest of all time. I have to ask you about him. There was recently a Golf Digest article um, that everyone should go check out. And I loved your humility in that Golf Digest article, just saying – and this, and people are getting to see how introspective you are, but you look back now and say, maybe I overcoached Tiger Woods. And, you know, I, I always say this, people could, people ask me all the time what I regret about my NFL career. If I could do anything differently, what would I do? But I didn't have that knowledge then that I do now. So looking at totally. the moment, I was doing the best that I could. And I was, totally. 100%. and so I love your humility and looking back saying, okay, maybe looking back, I overcoached him. But in the moment, if you knew you were doing that, you wouldn't have done it. All that being said, overall, was that just an incredible experience working with the greatest of all time? Or maybe. Yeah, no, 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 yeah, 100%. I mean, you know, it, uh, 
yeah, I mean, it's it, it's still it's I it's I still I still can't believe sometimes that it's happened, um, even after not working for seven years. Um, but I, I think at that time I was like out to be the best. And I wanted to be the best ever and have all the records and, 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 and do that. So I think that I'd been very fortunate at the start of my PGA Tour career that the guys I was working with, the things they needed to improve at still fit within my method. Um, there's no method now. The, the method now is basically I have a unique person. Some people are poor in internal hip rotation. Some people aren't. Some people are pronated. Some people's knees are valgus. There's so many different things that, that go into all that. But I just, you know, I had, had so much success on tour right away with all my guys. And then Tiger called me and said, you know, uh, I just want to congratulate you on helping three good players become great. And I was just, at that point, I used to refer to myself in my mind as Midas because everything I touched turned to gold. But mm -hmm. if you remember, at the end of that, story you know Midas touches his son so I just think I was arrogant and which means I was obviously insecure my insecurity was driving me uh, to be recognized and, and all those things and I think at that time I really needed that um shit dude we were raised in a world where they're like what's why don't you have any ambition I think ambition's a bad word now um you know, it was all about attainment and, and, and being the best and making the most money. And that's where I was at that point. I was still quite young. Um, so I think overcoached in the sense that I didn't necessarily do the right things with him uh, if I was to look back now. But that being said, he was in an impossible place in his life. Um, unbelievable. unbelievable. I mean, I think when Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky had their thing, I think he was on the front cover of the New York Post for six days. I think Tiger was on the front cover for 27. Um, you know, I said before that, you know, he went from being like a god to a punchline overnight. Jay Leno, David Letterman, all these. So, you know, when you've always kind of known what everyone thinks about you, like you just know. Like when we used to be on the range and Tiger would walk on the range, uh, we knew that he knew. We knew that he knew that we knew he was going to beat us. Like, and so he, he did. He just walked on the range. He looked like a lion in the grasslands of Africa. And you just knew. It's like, that's it. Like, that's, that's it. That's the guy who's winning. So he kind of got to the point where he knew what everyone was thinking. And then overnight, all of a sudden, you start wondering what people are thinking about you. And so we, you know, when we were younger, we probably, we already went through that. We know not to give credit to anybody. There's four people on this planet who could say something to me and I would listen to what they have to say based on the fact that they've kind of earned the right to make a comment on me. Whereas everyone else, I'm just going to be their unconscious bias. Oh, there's Sean Foley. He's this, he's that, he's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. Good and bad. I don't care about either. I, it, someone compliments me, it does nothing for me. It's just the same as the criticism. You got to take both. But people don't know right mandela when they asked him about two comments he made about the people who who were the guards at robin island one was that he knew that everyone was doing their best from their own level of understanding mm. so that way he didn't he didn't carry the revenge and the avenge and, and the anger of what he felt towards them right so that's fascinating. And two, he said that uh, he felt that the jail, the jail guards were more in jail than he was. Wow. And so, you know, he obviously created this beautiful place in his mind. So it didn't really matter if he was in the south of France or he was in the jail cell. Um, they, they could lock his body in, but they couldn't lock his mind in. And because of the way he felt to them, the guards started to take a liking to him. And that was very beneficial to what happened to the next phases of his life because they bring in books, all this stuff they weren't supposed to do, extra food he would give to different inmates. And so it really, really changed. Um, and, and once again, it's not surprising because love is undefeated. It took, 
it just totally is and all the subsidiaries of love, whether that's forgiveness, respect, you name it. Um, so it's not surprising that love worked in that situation. I mean, we can see what happens when hate kicks in, right? And it's just places just end up in the same place forever and ever and ever. So I, I, I don't, like I said in that podcast, that it's kind of unrealistic to go, well, gosh, I should have done this. Right. But I mean, I, I, def I definitely was doing my best, but my criticism of myself would be that uh, um, I thought I was the greatest thing that had ever happened. And uh, when you climb that high in your mind, when you fall, you fall for quite a long time. So the, the next probably 12 to 18 months after I stopped with, uh, uh, since Tiger and I started, start, stopped working together, I went from my phone ringing every day from agents and players to like getting no calls. Mm. And you know, understood that, you know, that's what it is. That's that you set yourself up for this. You, you completely set yourself up for this. Um, but yeah, I don't regret ever doing it. Um, I just think that I was obviously naive to, and I, the thing is I know enough about like the mind and the soul to understood that, but it was kind of like, I'll fix it. I got it. I'm Midas. And, um, Unfortunately, it didn't go down the way I wanted it to. Mind you, we had many, we had, you know, we had a lot of opportunities to, on weekends to win majors and stuff. And, you know, I got to the point where I had to be at peace to know that if he makes these next two putts, I'm going to be a god. And if he misses them, I'm going to be a fool. Right. And so when so much of your success and your ability to earn and all that comes from other people having their, I mean, you know, it, you, you'll see it in football all the time. Uh, now, they will obviously pay attention to individual players and how you're playing your position, but you can have the greatest game of your life ever, uh, and there can be two late INTs and you lose. Uh, that's the difference, I think. Why I like golf so much is because you're the quarterback, you're the defensive end, you're the linebacker, you're the free safety, you're, you're everything. Um, and I think that that's why athletes, when they're done playing their sport, they all get semi-addicted to golf because that even if you're just out for nine holes, you guys are so competitive. Um, you know, you, you've been competing with other players, but you've also been competing with yourself. I mean, all those, all those hours you spelt, spent in the weight room, you weren't competing against anybody else. You were just competing against yourself. Right. So I, yeah, it was uh, it was a great time. I'm forever grateful. Um, and I think, you know, the mistakes that I made early on in my career, I don't make those mistakes anymore. And so at some point you're going to make a mistake uh, and you can call it failure. If you want my friends in the neuroscience world called failure feedback, I think it's a better word. Um, the brain's constantly evolving. Neuroplasticity is adapting. Um, it comes from everything you go through and not just the, the good times. Incredible analysis. I, I, I loved so much. Uh, of what you just said there and, and you you mentioned that at the time when you were working with tiger being the best in the world is what drove you on a day-to-day -day basis what drives you now because shoot if anybody knows your schedule it, it's still packed and you're still trying to bring out the best in those that you work with what drives you now uh i would say probably just uh my love for the game my love for people in general I basically feel pretty whole within myself if I am either learning or inspiring. I think whether I had $10 million or $20, as long as I could like get by from a human survival standpoint, if I felt like I was learning and inspiring, I don't think it would matter what the rest of it was. Um, and then I think what happens is when you coach, you know, you're trying to get something out of people that's within them. It's already there. You're not even adding anything. You're just showing them either one, they're full of shit and they've been lying to themselves or two, just they didn't know how to tap into these, these areas that we, that, that we all have. And so I think that, you know, it keeps you, it, it, it keeps you on it. You know, it, it, this morning or whatever, I had Pilates at eight o'clock and then lifted at uh, nine o'clock before this interview. So when I see some of my kids that I coach who are great players, but they're out of shape, I can say, Hey, look, you know what? Like, you know, do you understand not just the physical, you know, the, 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 the physical attributes of this, but the mental attributes of exercise. And you, you say on the course, you're a little foggy or a little clouded. I said, man, 
You can either hire a sports psychologist or start doing cardio. Cardio will be just as good for that. It's amazing how many of the things that make human beings feel good that are in our DNA as far as, you know, chemicals and receptors and, and, and uh, you know, dopamines and things like that. They come from sunlight, exercise. It's all free. Like, it's right. the freest thing. But capitalism doesn't work if we get people to realize that they don't need to consume their happiness, that their happiness is for free. And so consumption, something's not right with me. I've got to get this. I've got to fit in with this. I've got to be like this. Um, I just find when you're coaching kids and, and, and players, you got to be able to look in the mirror. And yeah, I can tell my player to tell me what's going on. I've been vulnerable. I sat in a room at Golf Magazine in front of 500 of my peers from around the world and said, yeah, guess what? I overcoached him. I screwed up. So once you criticize yourself, either to yourself or openly, um, and I think it's important, criticism, introspection, whatever word you want to use, you know what it feels like, um, then no one else can do it to you because no one else was there. No one else have any idea what that's like. Um, and the ones who did were pre 2009. So they don't know what it's like. So when you can tell me you're coaching tiger, okay. Tiger, the deity or tiger, the punchline It's totally different game. Man. Incredible. Incredible. I got a couple more for you. A couple recurring questions. I'll get you out of here. What's the, uh, you've seen them all. What's the purest track in the country you've seen in your mind? Mm. I guess like, the funny thing is I, I tend to be biased on this because I think about the courses where my players have one at. That's the, like automatically is the first thing I think about. Right. So the, the purest track I've ever seen is Cypress Point. I got, I, got, I got the opportunity to play there this summer. Unbelievable. No, it's just forget about it. It's, it's like if you're a golfer, that's, that's basically heaven. Obviously, Augusta is amazing and stuff. But, um, you know, once again, places like that are just extremely fortunate to have the topography that they have. So are you going to see the most beautiful course you've ever seen, like in mainland central Florida? Probably not, right? But you go out to Bandon Dunes, you go to Scotland, you go to England, um, you know, you go to Cyprus and it's just, I mean, it's just right there. Like Pebble Beach is such a beautiful course. It's, it's an okay course, but it's just so beautiful and it's got so much history. But I, most guys who, who play there will say that Spyglass is a better golf course or Cyprus is a better golf course. It's just, you know, how human beings are with nostalgia, right? You're exactly right. My favorite part of playing Pebble Beach is playing with some buddies who are pretty much golf historians, which will tell you like, oh, Phil hit it down here and then he played this shot up here on six or whatever it may be. That's the best part of Pebble. Cypress is next level. Okay, this could be a podcast in itself. So I want to preface this. You, you do not owe me any more than maybe 15 or 20 seconds on this. I'm currently at a six index. I was at a five. I played pretty crappy in tournaments towards the end of this summer, uh, just at our club, not like national tournaments. Um, mm -hmm. I've been playing for about 10 years since giving it up through high school and college, but that was a, a lot of those years were in Buffalo coming off major injuries. We don't get a lot of golf season. That being said, Without seeing me swing, what would be your advice to get from six to scratch? I mean, you could probably – I think, one, I would look into the decade system by Scott Fawcett. And so what Scott it's, – it's called decade. Um, Mark Brody, who was up at uh, Columbia University, created all the strokes gain uh, algorithms. And then what – Scott did, he's a mathematician and a really good player. He took it and started to look at, you know, started challenging these ideas of like taking one side of the course out or hitting it to the middle of the green. Just, you know, these kind of tribalisms have been handed down to us, you know, drive for show, putt for dough. But if you look at the top 10 drivers in the world, they're 25th in the world ranking. If you look at the top 10 putters, they're probably 60s in the 60s, right? So right. hitting it 350 down the middle is very advantageous in golf. So I would say in your case, probably, I mean, without seeing you play, but just knowing of your athletic background and the fact that you played as a kid, that's a big part of it. Um, so knowing that you're a great athlete, picked it up as a kid, your swing's probably decent. Um, maybe your understanding of certain things and why the ball does what it does isn't there, but just to make a move and hit a ball, you're probably pretty good at it. I would say probably for the next, 
like three, four months when I would go to the golf course, I would just bring my wedges and my putter and not get any, any further than 30 yards away from the green. It's amazing. My buddies that are really good tell me the exact same thing. I, I did the speed sticks program last offseason. I have a simulator at the house. I mean, I'm completely ate up by it. You know, during COVID, COVID eliminated a lot, but it was really good for knocking out top 100 courses for me around the country because you can right. still travel and go play golf. But yeah, I appreciate that. And, and maybe at some point down in Orlando, we can connect and you can really tell me what's jacked up about my game. And then we can have Craig tell me what's jacked up about my body. And we could really have some everything, stuff. everything. Absolutely. Right? I mean, that, that, it's the one thing about football is, you know, golf is predominantly a torque uh, and rotation sport, right? And so I think that that being an athlete always helps because you're able to go side to side, turn, leave the ground, do all those different things. But it's amazing to see like some of the great, some of the great ball strikers in golf. And then to have Davies do a run over of their kind of hardware and software and see where they have mobility in these extra places that are, are pretty gifted. Absolutely. Pretty gifted. Yeah. I mean, there's, yeah. Uh, physiologically there, there's going to be some things with professional golfers. When you look at a guy like Patrick Reed and you're like, well, I don't know that he could play another sport. And then he's out winning majors because he's got, well, he's, 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 he's the best in the world from 30 yards in. Yep. I mean, that, that, that I have some players who have great short games, like world-class short games. And when they play with him, it's like, they're just like, it's a different league. I mean, he's like hitting the hole every time he looks totally dead. And then this thing comes out and that's just, he, he's one of the grittiest competitors out there, but you know, Patrick practices in a way that he knows at the end of the day, he's going to be judged by his score and not by how pretty his, his game is. Right. Absolutely. And, and I respect that. And, and that translates to so much. Um, all right, you're off the hook for recurring questions because I don't want to um, overpromise and underdeliver as far as timing goes. But because of that, you're going to have to come back on at some point, and we're going sure, to some of the guys you worked with, and we'll do it again at some point. But last one for me, this is what's next with Eric Wood. I want to know what's next for Sean Foley. What's coming down the line for you? I don't really know. I just I feel like I'm in a pretty easy holding pattern right now. Um, you know, I've got Justin Rose and Danny Willett. They're kind of my older players. Um, Lydia Coe, uh, obviously on the LPGA. I've her thoroughly, swing is unbelievable. Yeah, she's amazing. I've thoroughly enjoyed working with her. She's, uh, she's insane how good she is. Um, Sam Horsefield's a young player. Ben On, uh, Ann Van Dam, some of my girls. I've got some young college kids that I'm working with. So I'm just, I'm just kind of – my kids right now are 13 and 10, so – I don't think I'm going to go heavy into my career right now because I don't want to miss that. So I feel like it's in a decent place right now where I can be kind of present as a coach and, and present uh, as a parent and just not chasing monetary opportunities um, to realize that, that, you know, life is a career is a long time. Right. So just, you know, Quinn's about to go into high school. Karen's about to go into middle school and just not really miss that. You know, I've, I've got a lot of friends and, all kinds of different arenas that have been really successful. And, you know, I see a lot of them have regrets and that that's not, I don't want to have that regret uh, of, of knowing that I put my career, I have obviously put my career in front of everything um, to this point, but I'm not really in, in the business of doing that right now. So I'm just, you know, making good connections with people, um, really enjoy and the people that I'm with love working with them. Um, I think that's really important as well, because look, we've both seen the height of heights and the problem with the height of heights is when you get to the summit, you know, there's no oxygen, it's freezing cold and nine out of 10 people die on the descent, not the ascent. So I think when you've seen, when you've dreamed of where you want to be and then you get there and realize like, I saw the good part of it. It's, it's not any place that like, if you get back there again, it's like, it's okay that you get back there. Like I said, a lot of me being perceived as being at the summit is going to have to do with how five or six or eight other people are living their life and the level they bring, you know, there's, there's plenty of coaches who've been fired in sports, who know exactly what they're doing. It just wasn't working um, for many different reasons. Right. So 
yeah, I think when you understand that, like I'm only as good as, as how they play, you're very at peace with that. And then how do I continue um, to improve or do I sit down now and, you know, be introspective and think about, all right, I have a lot to share with people. So how am I going to do that? How much more do I need to learn versus do I need to kind of figure out what's in my head and what that looks like and see how I can um, help others uh, with that understanding. So, Man, but there's only, only 24 hours, bro. I get that. I get that a hundred percent. And uh, there's, there's days I wish there was more. We got that extra one with daylight savings a few weeks ago. And I was like, man, I could sure use 25 hours in a day. I was able to go to bed a little bit later. Still wake up at the same time, still get my seven to eight hours. But I love the way you wrapped up that conversation and talking about your boys and not want to miss out. I loved when you talked about, you know, for you, fulfillment comes from learning and expiring. And at the end you talked about, and I want to take that and serve others with it. I mean, so spot on. And, and those are all things that I, I believe in truly in my life. I can't thank you enough for your time. I know the listeners will be many, you know, golf fans may casually tune in that haven't tuned into your work before because you worked with Tiger or, or whoever it is. And they're going to be truly inspired by this message. So I can't thank you enough. Well, thank you very much, Eric. If you follow me at all on social media, you have seen me rave about my sauna from Sauna Space, and I only promote products that I personally use myself. I'm excited to let you know that I now have an offer for the listeners. Sauna Space allows you to rejuvenate at a cellular level with a sauna that harnesses the power of the sun. Sauna Space combines cutting edge infrared technology with nature's ancient wisdom to help you find relief. What's that mean? You will get the many benefits of infrared light. You will detox your body through the pouring of sweat out of your body, and you will be charged by the grounding mat your feet will be on. If you want that explained further, go to episode 94 of this podcast, and the owner, Brian Richards, will explain them for himself. Everyone that has purchased one of these saunas has absolutely loved it. It is a vital part of my daily routine to optimize my body. This would make a perfect gift this holiday season. Use the link in the show notes and use code What's Next 5 for 5% off your order and your loved one will never feel better.